This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We do appreciate those of you that are watching today. And if you're watching for the first time, I'd like to welcome you to our, our program today. We appreciate those that watch Getting to Know Your Bible every time we come on the air. Thank you so much for watching even today. Now today our subject is entitled, Wounded in the House of Friends. Wounded in the House of Friends. I hope that you'll stay tuned. We continue to offer the free Bible correspondence course on getting to know your Bible, and I would uh, emphasize the course is free, and we want to pause for just a moment that you can learn more about the course that you can learn how to receive the course. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877- 7115214 I'd like to urge those of you who are, are asking for the Bible correspondence course when you receive it please fill it out send it back to us for grading and then we'll send a certificate to you showing that you have successfully completed the Bible course. Those of you who have already received the course and you just haven't gotten around to, uh, to working the course, filling it out, please let me urge you to do that as soon as you possibly can. Now I want to read from Zechariah, the 13th chapter in verse 6, just one passage of Scripture. And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hand? And then shall I answer, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. I read the story a number of years ago about a woman who took in washing and ironing and scrub floors. And all of that was to send her son to college. Time eventually came for his graduation and she wrote to him and she asked about the day and the time of his graduation, but there was no reply. She thought he must be busy. She wrote to the school, and she got that information. She cleaned her best dress. She rode a wagon to the school. She sat down in the back of the auditorium, and she saw her son receive his diploma. She was so proud. This was her son. This is the reason she had been scrubbing floors and taking in washing and ironing. After the exercise was over, he was talking to a group of his distinguished friends. She shyly went up and called to him, Son, it's your mother. It's your mother. In embarrassment, he turned around and looked at her and said, I, I don't know you. You've made a mistake. His mother went away with a broken heart because she had been rejected 
by her son. Jesus is the best friend that mankind ever had. Jesus said there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And Jesus is a friend of sinners. Christ's death was the only righteous way that God could save sinners. Christ died for our sins. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. He was wounded for our transgressions, that is, for our sins, Isaiah 53. Even though Jesus Christ came as the Savior of the world, he was rejected and wounded by those who supposedly were his friends. He lived and worked at Nazareth. He attended the synagogue. He worked among his own brethren. But later we read, he came to his own, and his own received him not. He was rejected by the Jewish nation. In Matthew 21 and verse 42, Jesus said, Have you not read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. Peter denied Jesus, and Judas betrayed him. The greatest sin committed today from the standpoint of consequences is not murder, theft, or adultery. It is the sin of rejecting or wounding the Son of God. Because unless an individual would first reject the Lord Jesus Christ, they would not be guilty of these other sins. Why is the real reason that men are lost? No man is lost because it's the will, desire, or decree of God that he should be lost. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, we're told that God would have all men to be saved. He said, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness. But, but his long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and 4 tells us that God would have all men to be saved come to a knowledge of the truth. No man is lost because he needs to be lost. No man needs to be lost because Jesus tasted of death for every man, Hebrews 2, 9. No man is lost because he's too mean to repent of his sin. In Luke chapter 5, verse 31 and 32, Jesus said, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And no man is lost because the grace of God is not sufficient to save him. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, Titus 2 and verse 11. Ephesians 2 and 8 says, by grace, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. And no man is lost because the number of the saved has been set or determined, predetermined. Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor. In Revelation twenty-two seventeen, 17, it's whosoever will, let him come. And no man is lost because he's too weak to hold out in the living of the Christian life. We just add to our faith virtue and to our virtue knowledge, to our knowledge temperance, to our temperance patience, to our patience godliness, to our godliness brotherly kindness, and our brotherly kindness love. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful 
in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. No man is not lost because he's too weak to hold out. He may be lost because he refuses to live the Christian life. No man is lost because the way of salvation is difficult to understand. It's not. Jesus said, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. There's only one reason, and one reason alone, that a man is lost, and that is because he rejects the Son of God. In John 5 and 40, Jesus said, And you would not come unto me, that you might have life. It is sad that Jesus is still being wounded or rejected today. He is rejected by so-called Christians, some that are just playing church, playing Christian. Their homes are nothing more than dens of the devil. And the Lord would not be a welcome guest in their homes. Things that are allowed to go into some homes would drive the Lord out at once. And so he is not accepted in their homes. Jesus is wounded by those who are lukewarm toward him. In Revelation, the third chapter, he wrote a letter to the church at Laodicea. Thus saith the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou art cold or, were cold or hot, because, but because you are lukewarm, I'll just spew you out of my mouth. You see, people like that have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is rejected when people who died for whom he died, treat him in a shameful fashion. In Hebrews, the 10th chapter, beginning in verse 26, the Bible says, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin, but, but a certain fearful looking for a judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. For he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore a punishment? Suppose you shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite under the Spirit of grace. Did you observe what he said? He talked about those who had trodden underfoot the Son of God. That's just another way of saying that he was wounded in the house of friends. Why would anyone do that to Jesus? Why would anyone do that to the man who came into this world to save the world because he loved the world? Well, I think one reason many reject Jesus is because of the love of their sin. That they love their sin so much they don't want to give it up. You know, in Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, re refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to, to suffer affliction with the people of God than, rather than to enjoy, listen to it now, the pleasures of sin for a season. 
There's pleasure in sin. That's one of the reasons that people reject Jesus, that they love their sin more than they love Jesus. And then another thing that keeps some from coming to Christ is the love of money. Money is not evil. Money is neither good nor bad. It's the attitude we have toward it that makes it good or bad. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and 10 says the love of money is the root of all evil. Some say incorrectly money is the root of all the evil. No, it's not. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil. And there are those like Judas who turn their backs on Jesus Christ because of the love of money. Some reject Jesus because of the love of pleasure. And, and in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 4, Paul is talking about characteristics of the Christian age, the last age of Bible history. And he says that men shall be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And some reject Jesus Christ because they are moral weaklings. They don't have the courage to stand for their convictions. They know what's right, but they just refuse to stand. They're afraid of what people may say or do or think. Solomon said in Proverbs 29, 25, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be saved. And others reject Jesus because of the love of self. You cannot have the Christ of the cross until you dethrone yourself and you put Christ on the throne of your heart. There are many reasons men reject Jesus Christ, many reasons he's wounded in the house of friends. Well, what's the consequence of rejecting Jesus Christ? Well, one thing, in, in rejecting Christ, a man shuts the door to his own highest possibilities. Someone asked a great man, how can I become successful? And his reply was, link your life to a great cause and give your best to that cause. And the greatest cause and the best cause of all is the Lord Jesus Christ. When you reject Christ, you shut the door to your own highest possibility for all that you could be and all that you could become as a Christian. And, and when you reject Jesus Christ, you close the door to the highest possibilities of your soul. And then when a man rejects Christ, he puts himself in the way of other people. You ever watch an eclipse of the moon? The shout of the moon completely a shout of the sun completely blots out, blots out the moon. But could I ask you a question? Have you ever come between someone and Jesus? There are parents right now that are standing in the way of their children. And my friend, that's a serious thing when you cause a child to stumble and to fall. And there are parents that are not concerned about the spiritual welfare, the spiritual development of their children. And they have come between their children and Jesus. They stand in the way. There are many that have become backsliders in heart and in life 
And at one time, they lived faithful to Christ. They were excited about being Christians. But they're no longer excited. They're no longer enthused. And they stand between others and Jesus. You see, your influence may keep the souls of others out of heaven. So one of the consequences of a man wounding Jesus or rejecting him is that man puts himself in the way of other people. And in rejecting Christ, a man aligns himself with, with the devil and all the wicked and vile people that have ever lived. You, there, there isn't any middle ground here. Someone says, well, I, I just really don't want to be against the Lord. I'm not really against him. Well, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 30, either you are for me or you are against me. There isn't any middle ground. Now, if you had to cast a vote right now between Christ and the devil, how would you vote? How would you vote? You say, well, I'd vote for Jesus. Would you? Would you cast your ballot for the Lord right now if you were asked to cast a ballot? What would you do right now? Well, you say, well, I'd cast my ballot for Christ. Well, then that means, if you'd cast your ballot for him, that means that you would no longer want to serve Satan, and now you want to become a Christian and serve the Lord. In rejecting Jesus, a man insults God. If you stop and think how much God has done to keep every soul from being lost in an eternal hell, I'm aware a lot of people don't believe in hell anymore. But friends, we, we can deny it if, if we want to, but the Bible still teaches that there is a hell. And John 3.16 teaches there is a hell to shun. Listen to it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, perish, be lost, but have everlasting life. And if you turn your back upon the Lord, the one who died to save your soul, you're saying away with him, and away with God. I care nothing for him or for his son. And so there are those that would flaunt themselves in the face, and God said, if there is a God, let him strike me dead. And, you know, you would shudder to hear someone make that statement. There was someone actually that made that statement. If there's a God, let him strike me dead. Well, that's an insult to God Almighty. Let me tell you, you're not going to exhaust the patience of God in a moment like that. If you reject him, your insult is worse than the infidel because you claim to believe in God, and yet you reject the Lord Jesus Christ. And in rejecting Christ, a man is preparing to be in hell forever. I wish I knew a nicer, kinder, more gentler way to say that. But that's just the way it is. When you reject the offer of salvation and you reject the means of being saved eternally, you reject the one who can keep you from being lost in that place of torment. Now, I, I would like to...
come to the point that I could believe there isn't a hell. I wish I could believe that all people would believe in Jesus and, and believe in God and believe the Bible and, and that all people would obey the gospel and live a faithful Christian life and, to, uh, and, and that hell would not be necessary. But people still reject Jesus. They still don't believe in him. They still don't believe in God. They still don't believe the Bible. They don't even believe hell is real. And that makes hell still a necessary place. Someone says, well, you know, Brother Lambert, I know certain Bible scholars who say hell is not real. Well, there were no scholars in the days of Noah that believed the world was going to be destroyed with water, but it was. And there were no scholars during the days of Lot who believed that Sodom and Gomorrah was going to be destroyed with fire and brimstone, but it was. And as far as I know, there were no Bible scholars that thought the city of Jerusalem would be destroyed in 70 A.D., but it was. So if all the scholars in all of the world denied the reality and existence of a place called hell, it wouldn't prove it's not real. It, it, it would just prove they don't believe what the Bible said. Hell is the most horrible and concrete, concrete fact taught in the Bible. And the one who taught more about hell than anyone else was the Lord Jesus Christ. He had more to say about it than anyone else. Friend, hell is real. It's a real place. For, for example, you, you turn over to the book of Revelation, down to the end of the book, almost to the very end of the book, to the 21st chapter of Revelation, and, and you read verse number 8. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8. Let me read it to you. But the fearful and unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, shall have their part of the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I've heard of people making fun of preachers. As a matter of fact, I've had people to make fun of me and say, what are you, one of those hellfire brimstone preachers? Well, if you've heard me preach long enough, you know I don't preach that every time I come on the air. But friends, that doesn't mean it's not still there. And it's there because I read about it in the book. It's in the Bible. Go back to the 20th chapter of Revelation in verse 15. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. Go back to chapter 20 and verse 10. The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. One day a heckler asked a preacher, where's hell? And the preacher replied, at the end of a Christless life. And my friend, once in hell, there will be no invitation. We're not going to hear someone say, Come unto me, all ye that labor in a heavy laden. Once in hell, there will be no recess. There will be no end. Dante wrote, and said that 
The sign hanging over hell's door ought to read that all who enter here leave all hope behind. Once in hell, there'll be no salvation. Once in hell, there'll be no grace. Once in hell, there'll be no answered prayer. And the thing about the destiny of those that reject Jesus, it doesn't end. It's for eternity. In Matthew chapter 25, and in verse 46, Christ concludes that chapter with this passage. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment. But the righteous into life eternal. The punishment that will be the lot of people that reject Jesus Christ will be for eternity. I'm a little at a loss to explain to you the meaning of eternity. I just know that there'll be no end to it. We say eternity is like a ring. It has no beginning. It has no end. Suppose a person could only be lost in hell for a thousand years. Well, there'd be hope because at the end of 500 years, they could say in only 500 more years, I'll be out of here. But it's not going to be like that. It's going to be for all eternity. I want you to know you're not rejecting Christ because he can't be trusted. You're not rejecting him because you have plenty of time. You're not rejecting him because God is going to wait forever. You're not, you're not rejecting Christ because it won't matter at the judgment. What will you do with a man called Jesus? A little boy was reading John 3.16 and he read it like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only forgotten son. Is that what you've done with him? You've forgotten him? Remember him today. Obey him today because you love him. And give your life to him. I want to thank you for watching today. And may I, in the closing moments, encourage you to visit the Church of Christ in your community. And also right now, pick up the telephone. Call right now for the free Bible correspondence course. Don't just call for it when you receive it. Study it. Send it back to us for grading. I want to thank you for watching today. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you, may the Lord keep you, is my prayer. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, 
Summerdale, Alabama, 36580 or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bibles.